kids and the teachers as they teach the children. May God use that to call them to to himself. It's exciting times. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Philemon as we continue in our sermon series just looking at the gospel, or not the gospel, the letter of uh, Paul to Philemon, a personal letter, uh, which we started last week as we read that through together. We'll do the same thing today. But as you're trying to find that, it's 1 and Timothy, Titus, or t- Titus, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. So if you are trying to find that, or you can look in the table of contents to find that, which I often find is a lot more easier than just trying to figure that out, especially for one-pagers like Philemon. All right. I grew up uh, in this weird uh, in-between land of church. I grew up going to church. My parents uh, loved Christ. They loved the church. And I went to Sunday school. If the church was open, I was probably there, uh, begrudgingly, usually. But by God's grace, he even used that. But uh, as I grew up in Sunday school class, remember when we used to have those things? I grew up singing a lot of those old cr- uh, children's songs. This, uh, I, so I grew up, I'm not, I don't think I'm old. Um, and, and those who are old actually say no. Uh, my, one of my elders is nodding his head saying, yes, you are. Uh, we'll have a talk about that later. But growing up, but growing up, we sang this one song called Running Over. Yeah, you remember that? And the chorus went, running over, running over, my cup's full and running over. Since the Lord saved me, I am the happy as can be. My cup's full and running over. I was trying to remember those lyrics so hard uh, through the whole week. I just gave up early this morning. I was like, Mom, what is that song? Um, And she was able to quote it to me uh, because I just could not find it on Google, which is (laughs) how I find things these days. I kept, write, I kept quoting Psalm 23, which is where the song actually kind of comes from. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And near the last stanza, it says, my, my cup overflow, if you're King James, as I grew up, overflow it. Uh, so that's how it was. But what's running over? How does the gospel transform your life? Even as I re- remember that song, and it's, as a side note, if I may take this side note, parents and Sunday school teachers, it is amazing how what you are doing with these children at such a young age, I'm, I'm, I have teenagers myself, but how that can just influence for a lifetime. It's so important. Don't undermine that. What you're doing now matters in, God, in God's work in that child's life. But how, what is running over, even in that song? How does the gospel transform our life? What is the practical outcome of a faith that is in Jesus Christ? Why are there those people that are so encouraging, it almost makes you feel incredibly bad, right? What does a life look like when it is confronted with the grace of God? It's here Paul, in in Philemon, in verses 4 to 7, takes a short time to tell Philemon that he gives thanks for him in prayer and tells him why he does as he continues to walk through life, as the running over in that life. So if you have your Bibles, Philemon is a short letter, as I said last week, so we're going to read it through together, the whole thing, even though we'll be focusing on verses 4 to 7. The word of the Lord says this, Paul 
a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apropha, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and of all the saints. And I pray that the faith, the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough to, in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be com by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now my, much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repair it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so does Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we just come together to continue to worship. To see who you are and how you have specifically revealed yourself in your word. And Lord, there are other churches in this city that are gathering the same way we are. And I pray for each one where the pulpit, at the pulpit, the word of God is clearly preached. And specifically, I think of Jacqueline Street, Alliance Church, Lord, and that young church plant. And I pray for Pastor Reese as they gather together. May you bless them as they seek to be faithful disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Give him and the elders their wisdom that is needed to shepherd the flock that is among them. And Lord, as we continue to worship you, and as I continue to preach you, God, I want to preach so that you are glorified. I want to speak of you. I want to praise your name. And God, I can't do this on my own, so by your spirits, will you help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and appropriate affection? Use this sermon to bring glory to your name, Lord. Joy to your people and salvation to the lost. And amen. 
verses 4 to 5, Paul begins to talk about how he is praying for Philemon. Notice his prayers aren't just limited to praying for. He's also praying about something. When Paul comes to prayer, he's praising God for Philemon as he remembers him, as he reflects upon how God has worked in his life. This isn't a thanksgiving to Philemon. This is a praise to God for the God's work in Philemon's life that enables him to do these things. Let us not confuse these things. So he comes in verse 4, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. I.e., when Paul comes and he purposely spends time in prayer, he reflects and thinks about those people that God has brought into his life. And as he, Philemon comes to mind, he is thankful for him. And he prays, God, I'm so thankful for Philemon. Thank you for the grace that you've poured out in his life and how you are transforming him into more, a person more in Christ-likeness. You know, oftentimes when we take time to pray for people, we're praying for people's issues, or maybe we're praying because we're frustrated with them. But here, Paul takes time to simply praise God for what he's doing in Philemon's life. And I love that idea of that relationship, relationships that we all need. But why does he thank God for Philemon? Because in verse 5, he comes, he says, Because I hear of your love and faith towards the Lord Jesus for all the saints. It's an interesting and confusing sentence if you just read it off the bat, because you're like, well, how can you have faith in the saints? But here it is a A, B, B, A structure. So he, Paul is saying is hearing of your love and of your faith in the Lord Jesus, the outflow of that is towards all the saints. And on a side note, Paul is, is talking about those, those, the, the work of the Holy Spirit within him. All those who are in Christ are actually called biblically saints. We don't have some sort of special uh, category for super Christians of some kind who get categorized as saints. When a Christian receives saving faith in Jesus, the Christian, the one who believes in the gospel, is made a saint, which means all Christians are saints. The believer participates with the Spirit in a process of transformation that continues until we are with Christ for all eternity. So the goal of sanctification, of that working of the Holy Spirit within, the, within us, is a progressive conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. So when Paul comes here and he's reflecting upon Philemon, he's also reflecting upon how God, through the Holy Spirit, has sanctified Philemon to make him more like Jesus. So Paul is praising God for how God is working in Philemon's life. God is working so much that Philemon's love and faith in Jesus is not just contained to some sort of testimony of some kind, but it's overflowing, like a cup overflowing, and affecting his relationships with the other saints within his church. So remember, Philemon's love for the saints starts with his love for Jesus. The more he grows in his love for Christ, the more he grows in his love for the saints. I struggled with this a little bit this week as I was continuing to reflect upon this. Because as I even think about it, we often create a dichotomy between loving God and loving the church. We don't tie them together often. And I often hear about that somehow, that someone may love Jesus, but they can't stand the church. And I get it. I honestly do. 
Uh, We've all been burned by people. We've all been hurt by people. We've all hurt people. Sometimes we fixate so much on my own pain and neglect how much we've inflicted upon others. But if I love Jesus, who is the groom, I must also love the bride. I've said this before. You know, I'm married, obviously, 16 years now. I almost said 14, but it's not. (laughs) And if someone came up to me and said, Nate, I love you. I think you're a great guy, but man, your wife, I can't stand her. You and I would have a strong conversation. (laughs) A very strong conversation. So when someone says, I love you, you must take the one who's one flesh with me on this one. We've all been hurt, but if I love Jesus, who is the groom, I must also love the bride. And I'm not trying to minimize pain, because pain is real. And like I said, we've all been hurt. We've all been hurt or have hurt people. But when I sit back and I reflect on how Jesus Christ in his word calls me a friend, and I did absolutely nothing to earn his trust, absolutely nothing. In fact, regularly on a daily basis, I probably break it. But praise God, we're saved by grace and not by works. And I'm working on it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The more and more I see who Jesus is, the more and more I can see those who Jesus has saved with the same eyes that Jesus does. In 1 John 4, 20 to 21, it says this, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a, what? A liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is what Paul is praising God as he reflects upon the grace, as the visible grace that's been poured out on Philemon's life and how that has been working out in his life. There's an overflow that happens when we love God and see how we are loved by God that trickles down into our relationships with our brothers and our sisters. That's why there's all of those wonderful one another's that we always seem to neglect. Like the bearing with one another one. The loving one another one. You can't say I love Jesus, but his church, man, I can't stand. You can't separate them. Please don't hear me say that it doesn't matter about your hurt or your pain, but what I want you to see is how much Jesus has loved you and how that affects the relationships around you. If you love Jesus, you will love his church. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but love is a choice. The overflow of love for Jesus comes out in how we love each other within the body of Christ. Faith in Jesus and love for the saints are intimately intertwined, and you can't separate them. Paul gives high praise to Philemon as he hears of the heart of Philemon actively being poured out. Philemon was living a life that reflects the grace and the peace of the gospel in his life. So let us reflect upon a couple of things here. Let us reflect upon the gospel. And the gospel starts with the bad news, right? There is a law, the Ten Commandments, all those thou shall not. And we've all broken every single one of them. And because we've broken all of them, we can't stand before a holy God who requires perfection because we're not. That's the first part of the gospel. 
But the gospel is also good news, that God loves the world enough to give his own and only son to die for us. That's John 3, 16. The gospel is good news because our salvation and eternal life and our home in heaven are guaranteed not by what we're doing, but because of what Christ has already done. And he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, as 1 Peter 1 says. The gospel is great news. It's good news. And when we understand that we do not and can't even get anywhere close to earning some sort of salvation that the work of redemption and justification is done. It is complete. It is finished. Jesus finished it on the cross, as John 19 said. In 1 John, as we just read in 1 John 2, 2, we see that Jesus is our propitiation for our sins, which means he's absorbing the wrath that God was going to pour out on us, and he absorbs it. The gospel is good news, that we who were once enemies of God have been reconciled by the blood of Christ and adopted into his family of God. As 1 John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The gospel is good news that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The grace of God transforms our status before a holy God. It changes our hearts and our attitudes, our desires. But more importantly, it changes our status before him. To reject the gospel is to embrace the bad news. Because John 3, 17 continues on. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. God has given a doomed world good news, and that's the gospel. And the gospel, when we are encountered with the gospel and the grace of God, it can't help but transform us. You can't leave an, a, an interaction with, with the gospel and not be changed. Think about what Christ has done for you. And in Christ, you have been adopted into a new family. You're no longer objects of wrath, but children of God. You've been given a new heart that enables you to believe. And as I look out into the body of Christ here at Nolan, I could, how could I possibly have anything but love for those who've also been adopted into that same family? For Philemon, his relationship with Jesus ref- affected his relationship with God's people. What flows naturally out of that relationship with Jesus is friendship because we can go into the depths of friendship because of what Christ has done for us. When I understand God's grace... And what he has done for me, I don't need to worry about other people finding things out in my life. Because we are both saved by God's grace. And we both have very dirty closets. When Christ is my best friend, and he's your best friend, how can we not have the outcome of that relationship we're seeing here? Can those around you describe you as Paul describes Philemon? Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. 
See, Jesus' friendship with you is an act of grace, which means you didn't earn it. You didn't earn his friendship or his trust that enables us to do likewise to others around us because the gospel work is to make our hearts more and more like Christ towards one another and towards the world. The faith and love I have for Jesus doesn't stop with me. It overflows like a cup being poured and just flowing. It is a testimony of what God's done in my life, in your life. As Paul continues on in verse 6, Paul gives reasons for his thanksgiving, and Paul tells Philemon of what he has heard. And this passage is, uh, is actually quite a difficult passage, uh, if you were to translate it. But just looking at other translations, you can see how the translators differ. And, and the ESV says this, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The CSB says, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of God. The NIV says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in the deepening your understanding of every good thing we share in the sake of Christ. It's a little difficult. But what Paul is talking here is not a sharing of the gospel, but in, in, in being in fellowship or partnership that comes out of his faith. The faith that Christians share produces a fellowship. The gospel that you and I hold to unites us just like it united Paul and Philemon. And this is the sharing of what God has blessed him with, which he obviously does as he's opened up his house to the church. This is a sharing that comes out of his faith in Jesus Christ, and this is a fellowship that he enjoys with others by faith, the fellowship which you enjoy with one another. One commentary put it this way. He's saying his prayer is that the fellowship might be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. And may it be effective, Paul prays. This is a prayer that Philemon would reap the knowledge and enjoyment of every blessing that Christians have in Christ and that it would overflow into his relationships with the other members of his church. But what good works is Paul thinking about? He wants Philemon to not only continue to do the good things that he is doing and has done, but as we have read, he's hinting towards something that's going to happen in the future. There's going to be a big ask later on. And the ability to do this is not because of Philemon's material affluence, but the grace that has been given by Christ. In Christ, there, there is an overflowing that happens. When you remember that in that culture, Philemon would have been well within his rights to kill Onesimus. So when Onesimus is walking back to Philemon's home with this letter from Paul, there's a huge weight on his shoulders. A huge weight. That's why Paul is appealing to his faith. As he says in full knowledge, as Paul continues on, Philemon 1.9 says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. To know is both to possess and to perform. 
You can't just say, I know something, and not do it. I had this argument with my dad growing up all the time. My dad would say or explain something, like, let's say the budget. You know, parents always trying to teach your kids how to budget things. I didn't listen. <laughs> but teaching us, you know, discipling us or whatever it might be, and he would, my dad would say, hey, do you understand what I just said? And I would say, yeah, got it. I know. I know. And then my dad would say, then you should do it. Right? To know is both to possess and to perform. So Paul is addressing the knowledge that he has and that he would continue to do every good thing. And Paul is going to suggest a very good work that will require Philemon to show an astronomical amount of generosity in an important and, and a very visible way. And Paul wants Philemon to not only understand, but also to put into practice every good thing. This points to all the good that Christians are called to do. I think of Romans 15, 2, which says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Or Galatians 6, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Or in 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone that is in us, as he says. This is the qualifying statement. This is a prepositional phrase, meaning fellowship, where there is a sharing of every good thing that we have for the sake of Christ, for God's glory, for his glory, he says. Paul's prayer is that the overflowing of Philemon's faith will not just spur him on to do good works, but also to glorify Christ in his actions. When the grace of God so radically invades our hearts and our minds. It can't help but not change us. And with eyes raised up to him, our actions, our thoughts, our desires begin to be transformed. No longer is it about getting the newest item. No longer is it about my own comfortability. But with eyes raised up to Christ, Jesus points around to those who are also called brothers and sisters. One, per, one person put it this way. You can interpret this verse 6 in this way. Philemon, I am praying that the mutual participation that arises from your faith in Christ might become effective in leading you to understand and put into practice all the good that God wills for us. And that is found in our community. And do all of this for the sake of Christ. You see the overflowing that happens. The more I understand what God has done for me, the more it gives me freedom to do these sorts of things. I pray that when people hear about you, when they hear about me, when they hear about us as a church, that they will give thanks for how we have exemplified Christ in all things. And I know you and I don't do it perfectly, but let us seek to do all that we can do for Christ's glory. As he begins to close off this time of greeting in verse 7, have you ever had those people that when you leave their presence, you just feel so blessed? 
God has blessed me with a few of those people in my life, and I am, have been unbelievably blessed by them. So Paul ends this Thanksgiving section with his own personal note about how much he appreciates Philemon's love. And there in verse 7, we see four, which means it connects it to the rest of the passage, this sentence uh, to the previous sentence. So we have seen Philemon's love and faith in verses 5. We've seen it emphasized on just his faith in verse 6. And here his love in verse 7. And he says, Paul says, I have derived much joy and comfort, i.e. encouragement from your love. Those relationships are such a blessing that I have received them more than I can count, and I praise God for them myself. How encouraging it must be, have been for Paul as he was incarcerated to hear of Philemon's love and the working out of the gospel and the grace of God in his life. The overflowing of his love unto the saints. As he says, my brother, another expression of warmth that Paul had towards Philemon. In the Greek, actually, my brother is at the end, which puts even greater emphasis on his feelings towards Philemon. Because of the heart of the saints have been refreshed. The heart and encouraging effects that Philemon's effective ministry has been on God's people. Because of the heart of the saints have been refreshed through you. Philemon had deeply had a, deep, had a deeply personal real ministry to his fellow Christians. And that overflowing of what had, had happened in his life was an encouragement to what Paul had done. You know, as a pastor, I get this front row seat. I get a front row seat to how God is working in people's lives. It's a blessing. It's one of the greatest blessings of, if you want to call it a job, to see God transforming people's life and maturing them in Christ. And there are many ministries that can look like they are successful but are only superficial, which means the impact of the Christian is also temporary. But this isn't the case with Philemon's impact here. As I read over this passage, I have thoughts of people that come to mind that did the very same thing to me, and I pray I can, that we can be for each other, that we may have an effective impact on each other, that our love for Jesus would be so great that it would affect each other and our relationships with one another in a great way that's just unbelievable. As we care for each other, as we love one another, as we have fellowship with one another, that those we interact with would have refreshed hearts. And Paul says that the love that Philemon has shown the people of God has been a refreshment, has refreshed them to the deepest and most significant level of who they are. Those people that interact with Philemon have even been changed. So when Paul later will make that request, Paul knew that it would be well-received by this man. Philemon's life had been so radically changed because of the gospel, because the gospel is transformative. You can't experience God's grace and not be changed. And Philemon uses all he has, all he is, all of his time, all of his giftings, all of his talents, his resources to serve his new master, Jesus Christ. And by ministering and serving others, so how do you use your time and your gifts and your talents and your resources? How is God's grace towards you overflowing to those that are around you? This is the power of the gospel. God's grace transforms us. The love of Christ flows through us onto others. It's overflowing. 
I remember not too long, well, it was a longer than I think now. Um, <laughs> some of my children were in the bath, and I was in the kitchen. This is in Burlington. So the, ba the bathroom was above the kitchen. And all of a sudden, I see this bubble growing <laughs> in the ceiling. I think we've all been there. If you're a parent, you've been there. Uh, and I, I was getting angry. Um, and I was like, what in the world? <laughs> they were taking buckets and pouring it on the floor. Uh, and I was, I was up there. But you see what happens when the, when the water overflows, it begins to affect everything. <laughs> it begins to affect everything. If the love of Christ is overflowing in your life, it affects everything. This is the power of the gospel. It transforms. I have received that you have received. How does that not overflow like an overflowing cup into those that are around us? So what? What do we do with all of this? You remember that song, verse 1. Running over, running over, my cup's full and running over. Since the lo Lord saved me, I'm happy as I can be. My cup's full and running over. You know what the power of Google is? You find out that there's a second verse. <laughs> which I was never taught. And the second verse says this, telling others, telling others, my life's work is telling others. Since the Lord lives in me, I am as happy as can be. My life's work is to tell others. So there's a natural overflowing of God's grace in my life. Your faith and love for Jesus overflows into our fellowship with other fellow Christians, in our actions, into our witness, into every part of my life. Years ago, I remember a speaker once uh, asking the question to the, to the audience, uh, do people, when, they, when people leave their interactions with you, do they feel blessed or more burdened? And I think the grace of God allows us to be a blessing. Philemon had a clear impact, not only on Paul, but on the Christians of his church, but why? because of Philemon's love for Jesus. His faith he had in Jesus was something that couldn't be contained, but overflowed into his interactions with Paul and the church. Your faith and love for Jesus overflows into our fellowship with fellow Christians. So what we see in how Paul gives thanks to God for Philemon is the life Philemon lived by God's amazing grace. Philemon was only able to show these characteristics, meaning he could only exemplify the character of Jesus because of the work that God has done in his life. So Paul praises God because Philemon is showing the acting out of the gospel impact in his life. And Paul is careful not to give praise to Philemon, but to God who enables Philemon to do these things. I don't want you to leave with a to-do list. What I want you to do is mo grow more like Christ. If you grow more like Christ, everything will be okay. I'm not saying easy. It's going to be hard. But you will exemplify these things. If you're going to focus on one thing, grow like Christ. I think there's a few things, as I was even reminded this morning, as, and we were singing this is only done through Christ, as the song says, not I, but through Christ in me. There's two things I think we can get from here. First, here we see the great encouragement to Philemon. Sometimes we may think we are going nowhere fast. Do you ever feel like that? And we need 
like those cartoons who would start running and they're not moving anywhere. <laughs> and we need those close and personal relationships where a brother or a sister can say, hey, you know, I've seen you being growing in this way. And I praise God for that. I have often told people this when they express similar things about others that Paul is expressing about Philemon. Philemon is being reminded in this thanksgiving that the true source of anything good in his life is only because of God's work in his life. There's no room for pride or self-confidence, so let us be people willing to be, get intimate with other people and say, hey, I just want to praise God for how he's been working in your life in this way. I've seen you growing specifically in this way. And I praise God for that. For some reason, I feel like in the church in North America, we're like, oh, that's a little too intimate. And it's true. I don't know why. I'm the same. Get over it. <laughs> Second, we see the faith in Christ is tied to love for Christian brothers and sisters. It's why John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give to you that your love that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then Jesus follows up with that in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Philemon's faith isn't just a personal confession that he did in his room by himself when he was five years old. Well, he wouldn't have been five, but... It works out visibly in a big way to those around him. The gospel is transformative and will be clearly shown in one's life who has been saved by God's amazing grace, who has faith in Jesus, in how we deal with sin, how we deal with each other, how we deal with the world around us. Your faith and love for Christ is not something that can stay contained. It overflows. And this is a great example of the tension I love that word tension between faith and love in action that we see in James 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it is not, does not have works, is dead. So what do we see here? We see two men, Paul and Philemon, who are thriving in Christian community because they understand that they are needed and they are needy. Can those around you, around us, describe you personally uh, as a person that is described as Philemon is? Can those around us describe us personally as a church, how Paul describes Philemon, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus for all the saints. Can we pray that together? Can we pray that we exemplify Christ more and more? That it, we would exemplify Christ so much that it just overflows, not only into our relationships, but in our desire to tell other people about the grace of God. Can we become more enamored with God's grace towards us that it overflows in a big way with our brothers and sisters? Your faith and love for Jesus overflows into our fellowship with fellow Christians. Let's pray.